Let me pray real quick, and then we'll dive into, into God's Word. It's good to be with you this evening. Heavenly Father, um, we do owe it all to you and to your Son. The cross stands at, human, at the center of human history as a picture and reality expressing your deep love for us, despite the brokenness and the sin that we constantly struggle with. We owe it all to you. I pray that in the next few moments as we look at John 5, Father, that you would remove any error from my mouth, that you would help me speak clearly and uh, consistently with your glory and your worth, and that you would magnify your name in the hearts of your your people, that myself and my friends here tonight and tomorrow as we gather online, I pray that your hand would be exalted and your power would be seen with fresh eyes of how far you are willing to go to redeem your people. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the opening verses, if you recall them from like two years ago. Uh, The opening verses of the Gospel of John. And in in the opening verses of John, we are faced with an extraordinary reality, an, an incomprehensible reality that that God is this single divine being, but within God, or in that God, there has existed for all eternity distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so John tells us at, at the beginning of his book, the beginning of his gospel, that in the beginning of everything was the Word. This Word was both with God and was somehow also God from all eternity. This with language that John is using is he was face to face with God, but also himself God, not separate. He's the same God. And I know we can say that in a sentence. We can, John did here. He used a sentence to say that reality, but this is a truth that is far too great for us to even comprehend. And yet, this is who God is. And he's filled with truths that are too great to comprehend. John here says that it was through the word that God created all things, and that in the word was life. And he describes that life that's in the word as a light, the light of men that that, that shines into the darkness. And John John 1.14, so just... 14 verses down from that, or actually like 10 verses down from that, John explains what he means when he says the light shines in the darkness. He gives us 
clarity around that statement. He says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word, this God who is with God and also God, he became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, his light. And that glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's what John means when he uses the word light. This radiant glory that is coming from, now we've got names to go with these two persons, coming from a father and shining through a son. Colossians 1.15 tells us about this word, the son, that he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 would say that he's the radiance of the glory of God. He is, he is the exact imprint of God's nature, God's reality, who God is. So this word, word, the word, is God's only son. He possesses and displays the glory of his father. And this is what the entire prologue of the book of John focuses on, and really all of the gospel of John is centered on this reality of the glory of the word, the glory of the son, the son who came down from heaven, took on human flesh. He entered into our, our broken, our sin devastated world and shined the glory of his father into the hearts of people. Everyone he saw And that son's name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only son from the father. And this is exactly what, if you've been with us the last two weeks, we've been looking at the last two weeks, we've seen, uh, we've been in a series called the son shows us the father where we've seen Christ Jesus, the eternal word, the only son reach into the brokenness of our world. First two weeks ago with a child who was on the verge of death, brought that child from the brink of dying, saved him. And then last week, if you tuned in online because of all the crazy snow that we got, uh, the man who had been paralyzed for nearly four decades, 38 years of paralysis, Jesus says a word and he can walk. He heals both of these, these two people. And when the religious leaders who are around him have an issue with Jesus, the second one healing that man on the Sabbath, the day of rest, they begin to persecute him. They have an issue with him healing on the Sabbath. Jesus turns to them and says to them, I don't know if you remember this from last week, he says, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, my healing in this world is the work of my father. I'm doing what my father wants me to do. And of course, the response of the Jewish leaders to that claim, a Sabbath breaker saying that, God was his father is not good. It's not a positive response. John says in, in John 5, 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. They wanted him dead because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that was bad, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so they want him dead. They can't tolerate that kind of blasphemy because Jesus, when he talks about God, he, he's talking about his personal father, not just in some broad generic sense, like humanity talks about God as the father of all people, but in such a way that he is claiming to be of the same essence and being as God. 
This is a claim to deity. In their minds, at least, they walk away from talking to Jesus face to face, and they say that guy's claiming to be God. They hear the words that Jesus is saying, and they think that he is claiming to be equal with the living God as the son of this father, which is blasphemy and it's worthy of death. Um, And so now Jesus, at this point, in the narrative that we've been tracking through, could clear things up. Like if they were wrong about this, if, if there was a mistake here, if they're arriving at a wrong assumption about what he's actually say, saying, he could say, well, hold on a second. I'm not claiming to be equal with God. He could state that here. He could tell them, listen, you got it all wrong. Don't put the stones down. Don't kill me. I'm not claiming equality with God. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes in the opposite direction. In fact, as you see in the next few moments, Jesus floors the gas pedal of the accusation and presses even deeper into describing what his equality is with God, what his relationship is like with his father. And so the rest of John 5 really is Jesus' response. It's this long sermon to the Jewish leaders because of their desire to kill him for this statement that he's making. It's a deep, profound complex sermon that we're going to walk through over the next few weeks. And let me just give you a spoiler alert. It does not help quell their anger. In fact, it will only stoke their anger and it will move the pieces of the chess board closer and closer to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His words here will only entice them to, to kill him. And so with that, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me to John 5, 19. John 5, 19. And if you didn't bring your Bible today, that's cool. You people at home, you should find a Bible somewhere near you. But um, this text is extremely dense and extremely complex. And so I would suggest if you have a Bible, if you have a phone with you, pull it up on the ESV app or on on a Bible app. We're going to be reading from the ESV version Um, it would be helpful to see this. So John 5, starting with verse 19, it says, so Jesus said to them, now stop. (laughs) And this this so here is important. This so in, in Greek is the word un. And un means so, but it also means therefore. So what that tells us is, is this. This isn't a random statement from Jesus. He's not walking around and just saying stuff. He is intentionally responding to their claim that he is making himself equal with God. Everything he's going to say here is engaging that, their accusation. And this is what he says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever this, the father does that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So this is how Jesus begins his response. And as you can see, he doesn't begin by diffusing their concerns. He doubles down. He begins, well, he begins with these two words, truly, truly. You've seen this before. If you read it, anything in the gospels, you've probably seen it multiple times. Truly, truly, 
is the way that Jesus signals in, the, in his ministry that what he's about to say is critical. What he's about to say is of the utmost importance. In other words, it's true, it is real, and it is worth banking your life on. And so what does Jesus say here? He starts by saying that the son can do nothing of his own accord, only what he sees the father doing. And that whatever the, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now think about what that means. It means that there is nothing that the father does that the son, Christ Jesus, does not do himself. If the father does it, then the son does it as well. And if you remember from the verses I opened with, those are from the first chapter, the first few verses of John. This is true. We've already seen this with the single most profound and fundamental aspect of the physical universe. The creation of the cosmos happened like this. John says, all things were made through him, through the son, through Christ. And without him, John even doubles back and says, without him, without the son, without the word, was not anything made that was made. So John, right at the beginning of the gospel is saying, God the father did not create a single thing without his son. That both of them were involved in the creation of all things, the creation of the universe. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. This was true about the creation of the cosmos, and this has been true about every single thing since. And verse 20 tells us the reason why it's true, the reason Jesus can say this, is because the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, which you can imagine must have infuriated the Jewish leaders who were listening to Jesus at this moment, because it says that the source of the work that he is doing, the healing that he is doing in his ministry, that they hate and despise is originating from God's love for Jesus. It's coming from the Father's love for the Son. And not in a vague, general way like God loves all the things that exist in reality. He loves his son and has always loved his son perfectly from all eternity. We have to, we have such a weird understanding of the love of God in popular culture and even in the church. We have to understand how, Jesus, how God the Father loves his son. It's not the way he loves us. God loves us despite our brokenness, despite our sin. Despite everything that is wrong in our hearts and our minds, God loves us like that. And, and that's the reason why the Bible, when it talks about God's love for humanity, it uses words like grace, which is unmerited favor, or mercy. We hear about God's mercy for humanity. Well, that's love that you show somebody who doesn't deserve it, who's done something wrong against you. And that's not the way God loves his son. That is not the way that he loves his son because his son is infinitely worthy and has never committed a single wrong against his father. Not one drop of sin. The kind of love that the father has for his son, who's he, who he has been embracing from all eternity, is a love that is without equal. 
it is incomprehensible for us. There is, and the reason why is this, among the children of, of men, among all who have existed in humanity, there is no one that can equal who Christ is. There's no one like Jesus. There is nothing in Jesus that is unlovely. There is nothing in Jesus that is unworthy. God looks at his son and he doesn't have to overcome anything to feel a great passionate love for his son because his son is perfect. There's no delta between him and his son. And that means that there is no greater love in the universe than the love that God the Father has for God the Son. And therefore, going back to this verse, there is nothing that the Father is doing in this world that the Son isn't doing, period, including healing broken people. He shows him everything that he's doing because he loves him. But Jesus says here at the very end that greater works than healing will be done, works that they're going to marvel at. We got to ask ourselves a question like, what could be greater? What could possibly be greater than healing broken people? A man who's been paralyzed for four decades. Well, verse 21 tells us what's greater. It says this, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. That's the greater work. The greater work that Jesus is, is talking about that's, that's happening, that's going to happen, is giving life to the dead. This is the work that he says, you're going to marvel at this work. His father can raise the dead. We see this throughout the Old Testament. It happens multiple times. And therefore he, the son, the son of the father can also raise the dead. And the language here is really important to catch. Look what Jesus says here. He says, the son gives life to whom he will. Which tells us that the son is the one determining whether or not someone's going to be raised from death to life. Jesus determines this. Jesus decides this. It's on him. It's whom he will. In the next two verses starting with 22, explain to us why it is that Jesus can make this determination. Why it is he can raise people from the dead. He explains to us why. Verse 22 starts with the word for, which means that he's about to give us an explanation for how raising from the dead is possible. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So this is Jesus's explanation for why he can raise people from the dead. Jesus raises people from death to life, whoever he will, just like the father, because the father has given him all judgment. That's the way this verse describes it. All of God's judgment has been given to Christ, his only son. Which, again, you can imagine, this statement did not thrill the religious leaders who were around Jesus at this point in time. Jesus just said that all of God's judging power, his authority, his, his, his judgment has been handed over to Christ Jesus, his only son. 
and it's been given entirely to him. And not only that, he says the reason that God has given him all judgment, this is awesome, is so that all, meaning all of humanity, may honor the son just as they honor the father. Think about what that means. God's purpose here is that they would treat Jesus as God. Honor the son just as you would honor the father. To honor Christ like you would honor the Father is to treat Jesus, to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus like the one true living God. So now you can see why they have a big problem with Jesus, what he's saying here. Especially if you claim to love God and worship God and you actually hate Jesus. This is a huge problem for them. Jesus is saying here to dishonor the Son, to dishonor him, is to dishonor the one who sent him, the Father. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting God himself because God has given Christ all judgment so that they would receive him, so that they would honor him. But what does Jesus mean by judgment? That word judgment is interesting. In verse 22, the word in Greek is krisis, and it means obviously judgment, but it means decision, a determination. Uh, it comes from the, uh, the word krino in the Greek, which is to, to separate or to distinguish from. You can kind of get an understanding of why it would. When you judge, you make a judgment, you separate and you distinguish one side from another. And so this judgment, this word judgment is to divide. It's to divide. It's, it's to, to divide something. So what Jesus is saying is that his reality, the, the, his presence in the world, the only son from the Father being sent into the world divides people. Nobody leaves Jesus neutral. Nobody leaves Jesus on the fence. That's the judgment he's talking about here. God has sent his son into the world. He's given him all judgment such that what you and I believe about Jesus Christ, our determination of him, our judgment of him is actually how you and I are judged in that moment. Everything about God hangs on Jesus. And this becomes crystal clear in verse 24. Look at what Jesus says here at the close of this, this paragraph. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So think with me for a moment about what we've seen and where he's bringing us in this verse. Jesus again signals the truly, truly gunfire, <laughs> telling us this is important. Listen up. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. So notice his language here. Strange. He says, whoever hears the words of Christ, receives the words of Christ, to do that is to believe not only Jesus, it is to believe the one who sent Jesus, his father. So, so the father and the son are so closely united that to hear and to receive the son is to hear and receive the father. And what this means is that to reject the son is to reject the father. And throughout the book of John, we'll see this. You probably have already seen it, noticed it as we've gone over the last two years through it. Throughout the book of John, 
This is a major theme. There's a, a major theme of Jesus being judged by this world. Uh, the Jews have him on trial at the very end, the Jewish leaders. In fact, really through the entire book, we're looking at them making a judgment about Jesus. The Gentiles, Pilate has him on trial before the end of the book of John. And even in John 6, which is the next chapter we're going to get to, his own disciples are making judgments about him. And many of them, many of his followers leave. Jesus, throughout the book of John, is being judged. But the great irony that John presents us in this book is that in the world's judgment of Christ, they themselves, in fact, are the ones being judged. What we think about Christ determines what we actually believe about God. That's the statement that Jesus is making here. To receive him, he says, is to have eternal life. We, we, we don't come into judgment. We never come into judgment. We have passed from death to life. And this same raising of life that he's talking about in verse 24 is the life that he's been mentioning in verse 21. And so what we see here is that he's not talking about physical resurrection right here. He does talk about that in, in just a second. He is talking about spiritual life. He's talking about passing from death to life in your heart, in your soul. This is a spiritual work of God. The greater work that he's referring to here isn't a physical reality of raising somebody from the dead. It is something much harder to do. It's igniting faith in the heart of a broken sinner. That's what's truly astonishing. That's what he says is worth marveling over. That an unbeliever sees Jesus not just as a man, not just as a miracle worker, not just as a really great ethics teacher, but sees him for who he really is. That's the astonishing work of Christ here. That he takes a spiritually dead heart that feels nothing to, toward Jesus and brings it to life. A heart that had zero affections for Christ and then by his grace, by his love, is suddenly ignited with a desire to love him. This is the way that you and I experience spiritual life. We look at Jesus and we don't know why. We look at him with the eyes of our hearts in the pages of scripture and we suddenly find him compelling. We find him like worthy, beautiful, worth giving my life to. That's the miracle that Jesus is referring to here, eternal life. But the tragedy is that by and large in the gospel of John and by and large in human history, the response to Jesus isn't this. The response to Jesus is rejection and therefore judgment. Listen to John 3.19. We read this about a year ago, maybe. Can't remember. <laughs> Jesus says, John 3.19, this is the judgment. So he's going to define to us what judgment is. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What this says to us is that our response to the light of Christ reveals the truth about our hearts. 
Christ shines into this world. And as he shines into this world through what he's done, through what we read about, through his very words, as he does that, he reveals the allegiances of everyone who encounters him. Like what do we hold actually as God in our life? Who are we really aligned with in our lives? The allegiances of humanity are revealed in how they respond to Jesus Christ, the only son. And John is saying here that when light came into the world, by and large, people loved the darkness. They did not love the light. He's saying that there are only like two responses to Christ. Like I said, you can't be on the fence about Jesus. there's, There's no on the fence. One is to receive him and to embrace him as he says he is on his own terms. And the other is to say, no, I don't want you. And that way, you can do that a variety of ways. You can say, I just find him boring. I don't like church. I, I, I think he's fiction. I think he's made up. Or uh, maybe you just don't have time for Jesus. Maybe you just don't want to give him the time of day. All of that is called rejection. All of that is saying, I don't want you. You know, the irony is we live in a, a time in history. This isn't in the manuscript, so you may have to cut it later, Jacob. We don't live, we live in a time in history where there, there is nobody who doesn't have, at least in part of their life, the reality of Christ. No person who has access to a calendar and recognizes that we are 2021. From what point? Are we 2,021 years? We, we live in a, in a time when there's no excuse. There's a reason our time is the way it is. <laughs> um, so, so there are only two responses to him. One is to reject and one is to receive him. And when we reject him, we are, we're not just pushing him out of the way. We are embracing a, a Christless reality, a reality without Jesus in our thinking, in our mind, in our consciousness. And John hauntingly gives one word for this kind of, of life. He calls it darkness. That's what it is, darkness. A reality that not only lacks Jesus, but lacks God the creator and sustainer of every good thing you have. All your joy is gone. You're forsaking that by rejecting Jesus. And if we came to, the, to, to this text in John 5, and we were kind of not convinced that this is what Jesus is saying, I find it really convincing, but let's just hypothetically say we're not that to reject him as the son of God is to reject God himself. Many people in the world don't believe that that's what's being said here. But if we doubted that, then John 12 should remove all doubts. Skip over to verse 44 in John 12, if you can. The night before Jesus's death on the cross, literally the last words out of his mouth in the public before he spends a few final hours with his disciples and then gets nailed to a tree in the morning. Verse 44 says, and Jesus cried out. There's no truly, truly here. He's just yelling out to them. Whoever believes in me, 
believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, listen to this, I do not judge him for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And then Jesus leaves in the book of John and the public doesn't see him anymore. He dies on the cross in the morning. And whoever did hear him in this moment are left with only those words. So what do they make of Jesus? What do they make of Christ? Jesus says here that he's not judging anyone right now. Right now is not the time for judgment. He's come into the world to save. That's his mission, to save people. But if we reject him in his work of salvation and we don't receive his words and we push him away, we do have a judge, Jesus says. It's this massive, unwavering, unyielding judge called his words. The words of Christ that he's spoken through his scriptures. That word will judge all who have rejected Jesus on the last day. No one's going to escape this because all authority that he uses to speak is the authority of God the Father. This is the same judgment that we were talking about earlier. Every word from the mouth of Christ is the word of God himself. And it says this commandment given from the Father to the Son is eternal life. So what this means is that when Jesus speaks, and we're going to see this in John 6 very vividly, when Jesus speaks those words, if they're received and you you believe what he's saying, those words are eternal life. To receive the words of Christ is to receive eternal life, but to reject the words of Christ is to abandon eternal life and be faced with those same words you've rejected staring you in the face on the last day when there won't be any more appeal or opportunity to turn around. And this is exactly what Jesus comes to say back in John 5. So as we conclude, you can swing back to John 5. We're going to look at this one last text and talk about it for a bit. John 5, 25. So we're continuing his narrative Listen to how he gathers together all the threads that we've seen so far today. And he focuses them on the last day in human history, on the final culmination of all things. Jesus says, verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
And he has given him, the son, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, Jesus says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is the last day he's talking about. This is the last day the final judgment. He says that the hour has already come when the dead, the spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God, that's Jesus, and those who hear him will receive him and live. He says that that's already come. They will live forever. And we saw this the last two weeks. If you've been with us in this series, eternal life is granted to all who trust in Jesus, who just receive him for who he is. God who has life in himself has granted that his son who he sent into this world has the same life in him. Receiving Jesus is receiving this life. And the way that that's mediated to us is through the authority that God has given to his son to execute judgment. Notice here, he doesn't just say the son of God. He says that he's given authority to his son, the son of man, which is an interesting change in his language here. The son of man, that's a, that's a human being. A son of a man is a human being. But what he's referring to is the messianic title, son of man, which means that he's talking about the savior, the Messiah, the one who God promised for thousands of years to the people of Israel to, to be sent into the world the Son of Man is the eternal Word of God made flesh. He is the glory of God poured out into human form, dwelling among us. And the whole book of John, uh, the whole book of Scripture, all of canon, is exist to show us the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Even books that don't mention him by name are pointing to Jesus. Everything, everything hangs on what you and I believe about Christ. And so I, I want to just feel the weight of this. This is not a, a game. Like when Jesus says these things, he really does mean forever. He means forever, which is why at the very end of this, in verses 28 and 29, he zeroes in at the very end of human history. He's telling, listen to the Jewish leaders, don't marvel at my authority. Don't stop there. You need to know that there's a day coming when I'm going to speak again. I'm going to come back after I die, after I rise from the dead, after I ascend to the right hand of the Father, I will come back one day. And when I speak, all who are dead will rise up from their graves. There won't be any hesitation. He's talking about the physical resurrection of every single human being who's ever died. They will rise from their, I will command them and they will stand up from their graves and will obey without any hesitation, including me, if I die before Christ returns, and all of us, all of you. This day is going to happen but on the other side of that moment, when what has been fiction for millions and millions and millions of people terrifyingly becomes reality in an instance, 
On the other side of that moment, there are only two fates. Those who have done good, namely those who have received Christ and believed in him, they will go to the resurrection of the life. They will inherit the eternal life that Jesus has purchased for and promised to his people. But those who have done evil, those who've rejected the only son from the father and tried to build, it, build an eternal legacy on anything but Jesus, they will be judged. They will be judged by the words of Christ that he's spoken to them through his scriptures, the very words that they rejected, and their end will be, according to Daniel 12, eternal judgment, eternal condemnation. And what this means is that what we make of Jesus Christ matters for all eternity. It's that serious. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. This is why God sent his Son. This is why he wants us to see the glory, his glory in Christ Jesus. But what makes this whole thing so astonishing is the point at which the glory of Christ shines the brightest is the point where he dies for his people on the cross. The cross is the, is the point at which the light and the glory of Christ in this world shines the brightest because the cross shows us and creates in us the, the, the very desire and inclination we need in order to see Jesus as worthy, to see him as, as honor, honorable and worthy of our honor. Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, Paul says in Philippians 2. Becoming a servant in the form of man, he goes to the cross. He empties himself of his divine right and takes on human flesh in order for him to remove every single barrier between us and the Father by dying on that cross. The reason, you ever go to the book of Revelation, I was talking a page about Revelation earlier, all the songs are about what Jesus did on the cross. Isn't that awesome? And the reason why is because that is the centerpiece of human history. That is the crowning act of God to redeem his people. And that is the pivotal moment where Christ for us becomes irresistibly glorious. That he would suffer such a horrific breach between him and the Father, his fellowship with God, in order to bring us home. It's the very act of Christ being judged on our behalf, pinned to a cross for the whole world to see that ignites our hearts with the faith that we need to receive him, to treasure him, and to honor him. And though Jesus certainly deserves to be honored for who he is, just his reality, even if the cross never happened. The notion that he was willing to give up that honor on a tree outside of Jerusalem 
in this brutal crucifixion and the pouring out of God's justice and judgment and wrath on him in order to save us from our sins such that, listen to me, if you and I simply trust in Christ, if you say with your heart, I want you, Jesus, I trust you, Jesus, I honor you, Jesus, in that moment, a miracle has happened in you. You have passed from death to life and you belong to Christ. You're his and he is yours. And that's what eternal life is. That's what it tastes like. Jesus died for us to know the glory that would be impossible for us to see otherwise. For us to know him, for us to enjoy him, for us to have him for all eternity. So in the next few moments, we're going to sing as we do every week. Um, and you are invited during the, the, the worship song to participate in communion. We have single serve communion cups out there, completely voluntary. Um, if your faith is in Christ, I invite you to participate and to receive the communion. And if your faith isn't in Christ, I would just say to you and, and everyone who's watching, I would just say to you, consider all that he has said that he is here and receive him. Don't wait any longer. Trust in him. He is, he is really this glorious. He really is this beautiful and wonderful. Let's pray. Father God, the delta between us and the capacity we need to see the glory of Christ is infinite. Not only in our, in our creatureliness, Father God, but in our sin. We desire things that are, are wrong for us, wrong for those around us. We cling to things and, and, and give our hearts to things that will only hurt us in the end when we were made to worship the living God. And so I'm just pleading with you, Father God, that by your great power and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That the blindness that keeps us enslaved to our own desires, our own selfishness, would be healed. And that you would breathe into our dark, cold souls your life, which is the light of Christ. For those of us who have received him and love him, breathe again on us so that we can have a fresh experience of your goodness and your grace. And for those of us, no matter where we are right now, who haven't received him, Father, I pray that you would pull down the blinders of our own sinful predispositions so that we can get a glimpse. If we only have a glimpse, that is sufficient to carry us all the way through into eternity. I pray that you would do that, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.